All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. I am with a very special guest today, uh, Dr. Paolo Cassano. Uh, Dr. Cassano is a really interesting guy. He's an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and the director of photobiomodulation at the Massachusetts General Hospital Depression and Clinical Research Program principal investigator at the MGH Center for Anxiety and Traumatic Stress Disorders, and also uh, the head of the Division of Neuropsychiatry. Um, Dr. Cassano has led multiple studies on transcranial photobiomodulation with near-infrared light for anxiety and mood disorders, and his translational studies have focused on the effects of near-infrared light on mitochondria, cerebral blood flow, on brain electrical activity, looking at EEGs, and on autonomic reactivity, such as heart rate variability. For his studies on photobiomodulation, he was awarded competitive national grants, such as the Brain and Behavior Research Foundation, NARSAD. He was also the principal investigator on several multi-center clinical trials sponsored by private companies to test photobiomodulation for anxiety and depression. All right, Dr. Cassano. I could keep going on and on, but I'll just welcome you to the show. Thank you so much, Toby. Um, just a quick correction. Um, I'm not the head of the neuropsychiatry divisions, uh, but I'm the director of photobiomodulation there. I and see. Okay. Thank you, thank you for these kind words, though. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for, for the correction. So I'm curious, you know, you, you've got into a very interesting kind of unique you know, line of work right now. What, how did you originally find out about photobiomodulation? What kind of piqued your, your curiosity in it? Yeah. Um, well, so uh, back then I had just finished my residency training in psychiatry at Mass General Hospital in McLean. And uh, um, I used to be a research fellow at the depression program before the training. And uh, um, after the training, I was very interested in, in international psychiatry. Um, this has been a passion of mine, international psychiatry and international work. As a matter of fact, uh, um, to begin with, I started as a, an infectious disease uh, uh, researcher um, back in the days when I was in Europe. Uh, and my, my goal was eventually to go back to international work. Uh, then uh, half serendipitously, I, I ended up uh, in psychiatry. Um, and you know, I thought that that international part of my soul uh, was uh, set aside. And uh, I then uh, rediscovered it uh, in my work uh, with the community uh, psychiatry here in the Boston area with Latinos, uh, Caribbeans. Um, and uh, um, so after my training, I was working with Latinos uh, in these uh, practices uh, uh, in the community clinics. And uh, uh, I realized that my patients uh, didn't really like what I had to offer, uh, didn't like my medications. Um, they thought that this medication could potentially poison them. There were some uh, weird, uh, maybe cultural stereotypes of saying, well, what if I um, you know, lose my fertility as a result of taking these medications? And so 
I was the community psychiatrist there kind of battling and trying to find out treatments that would help them. And yet uh, I had my uh, links and my connections with the depression program at Massachusetts General Hospital. And on the depression program side, we were kind of intrigued that depression um, was, according to our research, a low uh, brain metabolism condition. And uh, um, in the field of neuroscience, uh, um, some very cool uh, large clinical trials on stroke were going on at that time. And the idea was really to energize the brain when the blood flow wasn't coming anymore. And then we thought, okay, well, what if we bring that um, to depression? And we use the light, the photobiomodulation, to energize the brain and get this kind of remedy. So that made a lot of sense in the depression program, but made a lot of sense in my community clinic because I said, well, maybe light, uh, I kind of, you know, the, the bulb was lighting up in my mind. It says that that's what my patient will want. That's what they will take. Finally, I have something to offer. And so that's how we started. That's awesome. So I'm curious, you know, and our, our listeners, you know, who, who might, you know, some of them may know something about photobiomodulation. Some, you know, may never have heard of it. I've mentioned it on the show um, a few times before, but I'm curious if, you know, and especially to hear from your perspective, how is this, how is light at this uh, specific, uh, light in the specific spectrum, how is this affecting the brain and the mitochondria? Yes, so we are talking about invisible light. Um, so you know, for years, uh, all the focus of uh, uh, photopsychiatry has been on bright light. You know, everybody knows about uh, sad lamps and kind of a seasonal affective disorder lamp and the important visible light. But invisible light uh, is half of the light at the, at the ground that the sun is shedding. So there's a huge amount of uh, what we call infrared light uh, um, that um, we receive, especially during summertime when we're outdoor. Uh, so that's very intriguing um, that there's so much light that hasn't been studied yet, um, or at least had not been studied until about 15 years ago for as concerns um, the brain. Um, what is interesting is that this light penetrates. Although it's a minimal amount, maybe a 2%, that penetrates all the skin, the skull, all the meningeal, kind of the whatever is the coating of our brain and gets to the brain. And um, what is amazing is that we're used to hear about the plants, the plants absorbing light and making energy. Well, the truth is that we all absorb light. You know, bacteria do it, uh, eukaryotes, which is us, um, you know, and, and and other uh, forms of life, including the so the animal words as much as the uh, uh, the, you know, the other nature. Um, so that light can be converted into energy, 
And uh, that happens at the level of mitochondria. Um, so there are specific, uh, what we call photoacceptors, which are molecules that are going to absorb the light and make energy out of it. And what is uh, amazing is that that's the same pattern, uh, or as you say, um, the same cascade of reactions that is used to metabolize the food that we ingest and make energy out of it. And we are bypassing with the light getting to the end of that chain, which is called respiratory chain. And it's where the cell breathes oxygen and makes energy out of it. And the light conveys energy right there. Okay. Okay. And then, so going back to the, the sort of premise of, of depression as being kind of uh, sort of a metabolic issue as, as far as the low blood flow. So this, this light then can increase, increase that blood flow um, by stimulating the mitochondria. Is that a correct explanation or is there more to it? You know, um, the light does so many things. Um, and um, so it all depends um, how... Um, you know, at which level you want to get. So you want to talk about the cell, do you want to talk about the brain? If you talk about the cell, uh, I can tell you there's more energy, there's more ATP in the cell. So the cells are energized. And that has been seen in cultures, neuronal cultures, animal models, you name it. Um, but that's not just the only thing that happened. Um, there is um, a little spike of oxidation. Uh, we're all afraid of oxidation, but it turns out that a little bit of it is actually good. And there is a reaction to that, which is an antioxidant effect. So that kind of uh, evil um, effect of oxygen that attacks your cells and destroys the membranes can be actually reduced to the light, from the light. There's also, probably as a result of that, uh, less inflammation. So the kind of the storm of cytokines, those molecules that uh, float around, call for other uh, blood cells to fight and, and and go against germs, but oftentimes the producing, producing even more damage to the tissue, that goes down. So there is an anti-inflammatory effect, which is um, also very good. And also there is, uh, uh, you could say, a rejuvenating effect. Um, that is um, uh, an effect on neurogenesis, synaptogenesis, and those good molecules that are the BDNF, uh, the brain-derived neurotrophic factors, the NGF, and others come out. And that allows our brain to, to branch more, to, to form more connections, which is the basis of the anatomical basis for them, the, the functioning and the firing. And there's also a change in the polarity of the membrane, which are immediate uh, um, uh, functional changes. So these are very 
important effects. And they might seem a little foreign here, although we are used to saying, okay, well, this vitamin actually is antioxidant. Uh, uh, this is good for your skin and so on. It turns out that a lot of the brain diseases share all these pathways. We, we're now hearing more and more about neuroinflammation and that, that's true for depression, it's true for Alzheimer's and many other conditions that have these problems. Oxidation, same thing. Um, low mitochondria functioning, same thing. So hypometabolic states, it's not unique of depression. Many disorders have that issue. So when you have a treatment that does so many things, that's really intriguing and uh, really exciting as well. And, and we can talk more, and if you wish, uh, compare this uh, to other um, treatments um, and how potentially unique uh, this is. But if you want to get out from that, this microscopic vision of the cell and get to the brain, um, it's as fascinating. Um, and we don't really know how the, the overall picture of the brain changes actually fit with the molecular or, or cellular changes I just described. But I can tell you what happens to the brain. You're absolutely right. Blood flow goes up. And that's true for any organ that has infrared light placed on. If you do it on your skin, you'll see it on your skin, on, on, the, on the muscles, on the joints. That's actually where this all started before getting to the skull and to the brain. So blood flow goes up. Uh, and uh, what is thought as the reason for that is the release of nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is that key molecules that kind of vasodilate, opens your vessels. And actually, it's one of those molecules that is good for all issues like even erectile dysfunction, just for the same reasons. Um, but it's not just blood flow. Um, your brain activity um, goes up. So those fast waves, um, so when you look at your brain and you look at uh, uh, the electrical activity, there is a certain frequency, a certain pace that your brain takes. And you can go from a, normally from a slow pace when you're sleeping, when you're in a meditation state, to a fast pace if you're concentrating, you're focusing, you're trying to remember something. Um, and so you can get that shift towards the faster ways with, uh, uh, with the light as well. And then uh, um, you can also microscopically see uh, a greater level of oxygenation in your brain. Um, and also the photoacceptor I was mentioning, which is the cytochrome C oxidase in the mitochondria, also changes redox state. It means like it becomes more oxidated, um, signaling that our target has been engaged. Um, so at least these are some of the primary changes. Uh, people have seen connectivity as, as a change. Uh, connectivity is a fancy term to say that different um, brain areas are talking to each other more. 
as a result of, of this stimulation. Um, and people have seen uh, the metabolic uh, lighting up of certain areas, uh, like in pets. Um, so these are some of the changes. Yeah, this, this is all super fascinating. And I'm curious, I want to pose the question to you of, you know, with all the, you know, sort of uh, research studies that you've been a part of or led, what have been the most intriguing findings that have, have really stood out to you or really shocked you about, you know, photobiomodulation's impact on, on the EEG or heart rate variability, mitochondria, cerebral blood flow? What stood out? Well, um, I think uh, that uh, what was most intriguing for me was the fact that uh, even now we're talking about photobiomodulation or transcranial photobiomodulation, you and I, and uh, uh, we're talking about this as if it were one thing. Uh, and I'm not quite sure that's the case. Um, you know, if you were telling me, um, uh, you know, let's talk about uh, electrical stimulation. Um, it seems like that's something you do and uh, um, you're familiar with the transcranial direct current stimulation, uh, uh, transcranial alternating current stimulation. However, you also know that if you crank up the energy, you get to um, electroconvulsive therapy. Uh, and uh, if you change it the way you deliver it and rather than delivering an electric current you create a magnetic field that you can do transcranial magnetic stimulation and we know that the effects are different um, now in our research we're kind of finding that depending on how much light we give we can produce a different effect so all what i told you so far is true but it seems like depending on the dose, you might actually have uh, an increase in blood flow and an increase in those uh, uh, fast brain waves, um, which show the electrical activity of our brain, or just have an increase in the fast uh, brain waves without an effect on blood flow. Um, now, these are unreplicated finding, which is a fancy word to say that we need more research. So from my understanding, you can, you can pulse this light at different frequencies. Um, what do we know as far as, I mean, I, I, I've seen some of the, the, you know, the commercial devices, they offer have a, an alpha device and a gamma device, you know, stimulating like a, a 10 Hertz alpha rhythm or a, a 40 hertz gamma rhythm. I'm curious, you know, what your take is, you know, on these different different frequencies. I would assume that um, there's some that are useful for certain conditions, and then different ones that are useful for for other conditions. Is that a fair way to look at it? It is a fair way uh, to look at it. I agree with you, uh, Toby. Um, the the, the tricky part is that there's not yet enough science. Um, for instance, um, the University of Texas has done most of its research with uh, a continuous wave, um, so no pulsing. 
we have done at, at Harvard Mass General Hospital uh, most of our research with continuous wave as well. Um, they have done mostly uh, healthy subjects. Um, we have done uh, uh, mostly depression, anxiety, and then some healthy subjects as well. Um, other groups uh, have looked at pulse wave. Um, they have looked, however, one specific frequency, like 10 hertz, and these are groups uh, in Canada and, uh, and also uh, in, in California as well, uh, University of California. Um, so um, nobody has really compared uh, one type of light to the other, um, but I can tell you, um, since I am a clinician, I see uh, the effects in my patients. And in, in Mass General Hospital, we have uh, a photobiomodulation clinic in the Department of Psychiatry. I'm directing that. And uh, um, although this is not an approved treatment, uh, um, neither for depression or, or anxiety, um, because people um, are in, in hoping for new treatments and sometimes they are either resistant meaning they are not responding to available treatments or they have side effects with available antidepressant medications and or they are just looking for something else and because this is a safe and inexpensive treatment photobiomodulation we offer it under very specific uh, circumstances, which is our clinic. And we see the difference. Uh, so I can tell you that 10 Hertz, um, it's a very relaxing frequency. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's good for sleep as well. Uh, so it's good for anxiety. Uh, 40 Hertz uh, is uh, um, most likely a more antidepressant frequency. Uh, more activating overall, um, and also better for a cognitive uh, boost, uh, which is obviously an issue in depression, um, but also could be an issue outside of depression in many other cognitive disorders. Sure. And this is, I mean, this is fascinating that, that you're actually using this, you know, in a clinical setting to, to treat patients. Is this something that you see, you know, five, 10, 20 years down the road, you see a lot more of these sort of clinical applications popping up? Is this gonna be, you know, where if someone goes to their psychiatrist, are they gonna, you know, have access to these photobiomodulation therapies? There's no question. Uh, there's no question. Um, I guess where uh, we should kind of, wait and see is uh, what's the timeline. Um, but this is going to happen. Uh, this is a, a radically uh, different uh, method of uh, uh, neurostimulation. It is neurostimulation. However, uh, many other treatments, uh, uh, including TDCS or TACS or TMS, uh, have not uh, uh, shown uh, for instance, a so clear-cut uh, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory effect. Um, so this treatment of photobiomodulation not only has the potential of pacing the brain, but has all these effects 
um, including the fact that it's not just driving the brain to a certain pace, but it's also refueling the cells, which is probably critical if you want to have that performance ongoing in many of these disorders, you name it, whether it's depression, neurodegenerative conditions. So these are key aspects of this treatment that are going to be very critical. Now, this is all theory um, and also obviously the science is supporting it, but I could easily talk about the clinical outcomes and the patients. Yeah, and actually that, that's something I'd love to hear about as far as, you know, what you know, we, t we touched on depression. What, what other sort of uh, conditions or maybe uh, aspects of cognition can be most uh, improved or modulated by, uh, by using this uh, photobiomodulation? Um, yeah, so one aspect that I'm really interested in uh, uh, these days is uh, uh, mild cognitive impairment. Um, that is uh, also for, for, for personal reasons. Uh, um, you know, my, my father actually uh, is uh, in his early 80s and uh, um, started to have some mild cognitive impairment. And um, this goes back to what you asked me, uh, you know, what led me into this. Uh, and, and I told you about my very beginning, uh, about more than 10 years ago, um, how I came in photobiomodulation. But I, I think there have been many beginnings. Uh, and uh, for instance, as a clinician, as a scientist, uh, I started, yes, 10 years ago to be interested in photobiomodulation. And then as an entrepreneur, I started uh, about three years, three year and a half years ago, thinking, okay, well, just uh, we need to have not just science here, but also have devices that are available to people. And we can't wait 10 years, and, and, uh, um, or at least we cannot wait other 10 years. And, uh, and the reason is uh, also personal, uh, thinking uh, you know, how to give back to people that gave to me. And uh, my father, um, has been a psychiatrist. Uh, I work in Italy with him for a while before coming to the States. Uh, he's uh, by training a neuropsychopharmacologist. And, um, and, and so I wanted, I wanted this for, for him, for, for my family, for, for others. Um, and, um, and this comes back to what I've seen. Um, although, uh, you know, the company I co-founded uh, doesn't have a device yet in the market. Uh, the device was available to me and, and I gave it to my father. And, uh, you know, just yesterday I was on the phone with my brother and asking him, hey, how, how's dad doing? And uh, he's saying, well, look, I mean, he's on the phone all the time and he's talking to so many people. He's, he's not just in the couch. He's, uh, he's, and, and I spoke with my dad and tells me, you know, yes, I know I'm talking better. And, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't struggle with the word finding. And, uh, and uh, these are things that we've seen. We've seen them in our family. And uh, it's been so rewarding to see all that. And um, I just want to bring this forward. And, 
um, to, to ask, to answer your questions, um, there, uh, there are applications uh, um, that span from uh, uh, the entire lifespan, um, from neurodevelopmental diseases to uh, elderly and cognitive, uh, uh, mild cognitive impairment up to dementia. Uh, there are studies uh, on dementia, although um, mostly uncontrolled studies that have shown an improvement. And also, when you withdraw the treatment, uh, a drop in, 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 in cognitive functioning. Um, and, uh, but there are preliminary data also in neurodevelopmental conditions uh, with some Italian uh, clinicians and, and colleagues uh, we've studied the effect in Down syndrome. Um, even there, um, uh, I have a nephew uh, that has uh, uh, Down syndrome, and uh, so we tried the light. He's uh, uh, his, his five-year-old, and uh, although this is all very preliminary, and uh, with this, I'm not um, advising anyone to use the light without uh, uh, clinical supervision if they have uh, a condition, a clinical condition. Uh, if they have a clinical condition, um, anyone should always seek for, um, for help, professional help. Um, but because I am a professional and uh, I could sort of guide some family members, and, uh, and this, you know, this guy that uh, wasn't really talking could tell to his mom, you know, when called to do something, it says, uh, Ma, uh, I watch TV. And, and now he's putting a, a kind of full sentence together. And, uh, and uh, you know, from, from being pre-verbal to, to, to being able to talk and, and express yourself. And, and this was my experience in my family, but in this small study of case reports, other effects like uh, mood regulation, motor skills, drawing um, in, in children, um, pre-adolescent children uh, were, were seen by the parents when they had this treatment. So their pronounced cognitive effects uh, can be noticed. Um, and if you allow me one more thing, even in healthy subjects, even you and I, uh, if do the transcranial light can have a boost in performance. So um, there's an entire field of um, of studies, and that's where most of the evidence is in in cognitive performance in the healthy. Um, so it's it's big. That's incredible that you know with your with your father and nephew. I love you know how you tie in the the personal element, and you're actually able to see you know how all of this research, all this hard work of yours, you know, is actually paying off in such a personal way. Or, you know, that's a really cool story. Um, I wanted to uh, sort of touch on something that um, you mentioned before, as far as um, you studied uh, clinical neuropsychopharmacology in Italy, you were mentioning, I think, with your, with your father. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm curious as far as, you know, maybe what, what you took out of that program. And also, I'm just curious as far as what, what differs, you know, in the Italian or, or more general kind of European uh, way of approaching psychiatry compared to what we do here in the States? Yeah. 
Um, well, thank you for asking the question. It's a, it's a tough question um, because uh, I, uh, I work in a, in a center of excellence at the University of Pisa in Italy. Um, and then I came here in a, similarly a, a center of excellence at Harbor and Mass General Hospital in the United States. So I don't know how that generalizes to the States or to, to Italy. Um, I can tell you some differences I've seen. Um, well, for one thing, um, the, the, the resources, um, research, it's much less funded. Uh, we don't have a, such a powerful National Institute of Health, which is so well funded uh, in Italy. Uh, there is one, obviously, um, but not so many funding uh, go to, to the different sites. Um, so uh, there are less clinical trials. Uh, there's less research overall. Um, however, there is a lot of research that is not about new treatments. There's a lot of emphasis in understanding what we call psychopathology um, and um, understanding the signs, uh, kind of the um, the deeper uh, symptoms and, and what to make of it and how to classify the different uh, subtypes of depression or, or other conditions. So, um, we talk about depression, but uh, uh, you know, with the current criteria, there are hundreds of types of depression that you can make out of those criteria if you go through the different combination of symptoms. And that's what in Italy, uh, people tend to study. And, uh, um, but obviously, uh, this is a, a generalization. There are obviously uh, treatment studies as well. Um, we see many more patients in Italy. Um, there's a heavy load of uh, uh, clinical, even in uh, uh, tertiary care. Um, and uh, people are less specialized. So what you told uh, people about me is that I work in neuropsychiatry, I work in the depression and anxiety, and uh, I'm a photopsychiatrist. So here, there are very clear labels. In Italy, you're more of a generalist. Uh, you might have, even at the university, some specific interest, but then you treat pretty much everything. Here, a little less so. Yes, we are generalists. I am a community psychiatrist and see all sorts of conditions, but at Mass General Hospital, I tend to see more depression or anxiety or now a little more of cognitive disorders. Um, so, these are some of the differences that come to mind. Uh, there's obviously the entire culture of academia that is different there compared to here. People here uh, talk to each other and, you know, you, you, know, you, you're, you go by your first name, uh, whether you are the senior professor uh, or chair, or, um, but there, there's, some people are professors, some people are doctors, some people are neither doctors nor professors. So um, there's the culture, the culture is different. Sure, sure. Yeah, those are some very interesting differences. Um, I'm curious, you mentioned, uh, this is actually a question I wanted to ask you before, but as far as, 
you know, with a condition like depression, I've seen uh, at my undergraduate university, there were a few research labs, I believe, that were looking at uh, C-reactive protein, an inflammatory marker, and its connection with depression. And I know we touched on, you know, kind of how, in part, the photobiomodulation is working by, by decreasing uh, neural inflammation. So I'm curious, how else, uh, what other tests or, or how else can we sort of measure, uh, you know, brain function? What other biomarkers are there um, when it comes to human studies? So, um, so it depends. Uh, so you could obviously go with the inflammatory biomarkers, interleukins, like interleukin one, six, uh, um, or, or TNF alpha, interferon gamma. Uh, you can look at those changes uh, in, in the plasma. Um, and, and those are all part of this kind of inflammatory storm that you can quiet down with, uh, with the light. You can look at BDNF, the neurotrophic, uh, um, kind of the re rejuvenating factors that can also be circulating as a result of that. Um, however, I believe the best markers are neurophysiological markers. There's no questions uh, that based on the healthy subject studies, and even our, in our group, uh, changes happen in minutes, whether it's the blood flow increase, whether it's the oxygenation of the brain, whether it's the, the pacing of the brain, the electrophysiological change, uh, this happens, you know, on a snap. Uh, and um, so, and, and they are directly recordable from the brain as opposed to looking at the impact on, on the blood. Um, so, uh, and they can be recorded in easy way, non-invasible ways. Um, so, you know, if you were to buy a device and you wanted to buy uh, some EEG recording, uh, you could do it for yourself. Now, you are an expert on these things, so you would do it anyway. You have a lab to do it, Toby. But, you know, the, the average guy that is doing something else could just do it, uh, you know, and, and see what's the effect on my brain. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned the, you just mentioned the EEGs and, you know, that's kind of my experience, you know, with, with recording and doing the stimulation, um, neurofeedback. I'm curious, you know, from my perspective, I, I kind of see all of these different technologies, including the the photobiomodulation really being the future, you know, of, of psychiatry. I'm curious if you, if you see it the same way, if you see, you know, in the future, there being less uh, prescription medications, uh, more kind of natural uh, treatments, or, or maybe an integration of, of both sides of, uh, of things. I'm just curious, you know, or what other sort of technologies do you think can really make a, an impact in the future of psychiatry? Well, there's, you know, it's clear that uh, taking a pill is easy. Uh, and um, so that's one thing. Um, the other thing is you have to think about uh, what's our age culture. 
um, we live in an age of medicine. So when you think about treating people, uh, it's called study medicine. Uh, and those are about medications, medicines. And so there's a cultural change that needs to happen, a huge one, uh, in order to move from that to uh, integrating other modalities. I don't know what's the timeline for that, because unless it changes in medical school, um, it, it's, it's going to take a long time. And uh, um, are going to be the business or businesses um, or the companies um, so powerful to drive this change as they have been uh, for, for medications. Um, so again, I don't know how quickly we're going to move from this to the next step. And just to make an example that probably people uh, will kind of get uh, better and uh, will resonate with a lot of us. Let's think about nutrition. Everybody knows how nutrition, is, how important it is. You know, if you feed your brain the right way, um, you name it, whether it's the ketonic diet or, or you know, what is the you know, low sugar diet and, and so forth, you know that your performance can, can improve. Uh, we know it, but how often do we hear it from our providers? How often, you know, we hear specific guidelines? Um, you know, oftentimes you go to your primary care and they tell you, well, watch out your cholesterol, don't eat too much of that, because that has been tied to, you know, the different medications, whether it's a low cholesterol drugs and so forth, but you don't hear much more of that. And why? Because we, the physicians, and I put myself in that, um, are not trained. And we don't know much about it. It's not an easy solution to offer. It takes time to explain that. Uh, it takes time to learn it. Um, so photomyodulation, like any alternative treatment, will have to go through the same path. It might take some time before it gets to you and me through uh, our physicians. However, these devices are safe. Um, they are already in the wellness space. So some of these devices can be accessed um, you know, in the market. Mm -hmm. And it seems like just uh, you know, a question of when, not, you know, not if. It seems like they're they're you know gonna come. I'm just curious, you know, as far as you know, when when we end up seeing that happening and and what it's gonna look like. But I think you know we can see some real profound positive changes coming forward. You know, with the usage of all these technologies. Yeah, if I may, Toby, um, you know, I agree with you. It's not uh, if but when, and uh, um, you know, it's not a kind of um, an abstract prediction. Uh, if you look back, um, and you, you know, it's, it's really cool that uh, you're working on this, you work on, as I said, TDCS, TACS, you're familiar with this, and you might be familiar with the fact that uh, device-based treatments uh, have been notoriously, and still are, 
the most effective treatments in psychiatry. So um, ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulations, these are the most effective treatments, uh, for instance, for, for depression, but they're also most effective for ECT for, for catatonia. Um, so it's not just depression. Um, and, and, and you name it, uh, um, you know, there are the treatments like vigorous nervous stimulation, so deep brain stimulation. So we know that uh, devices have an extraordinary opportunity uh, or potential to uh, be very therapeutic. Um, what we lack so far were devices that you and I could take home. Uh, and uh, so that's the revolution that is coming. Um, and photobiomodulation among those devices, I think, is placed very well. And the reason is because it's easy. You don't have to wet sponges. You don't have to kind of uh, try to think where to place uh, the, the light source. You can put it on and, and go with it. And uh, plus it has, as I mentioned before, all the other mechanistic uh, uh, advantages compared to the other treatments. And this is not meant to discount uh, all the other treatments, obviously, I, I have a bias because I'm a photopsychiatrist, um, but I can see um, the additional benefits of the following. Well said. Awesome. Well, Dr. Cassano, this has been a fascinating discussion. Um, I'm curious, you know, anything uh, before we wrap up, if you'd like to give, you know, the listeners, if, if they're curious and want to learn more about um, any of the, the uh, studies, research, uh, or clinical applications um, that you're involved with, you know, feel free um, to let people know, you know, where they should go. Yeah, so obviously, um, follow our uh, Mass General Hospital uh, website. Uh, um, we, we post uh, our uh, clinical trials there. Uh, we have uh, two clinical trials uh, coming up, one in depression, sponsored by the National Institute of Health, and, and hopefully soon uh, a trial in mild cognitive impairment, uh, and also hopefully soon in, uh, in Down syndrome and uh, photobiomodulation. We have our um, NGH um, photobiomodulation uh, clinic in the psychiatry department, if anyone is interested in getting help. Um, and also uh, listed on this page, uh, uh, I have all my social media, I try to uh, spread the, the good news, I guess, uh, and um, reach me out. Awesome. Well, Dr. Cassano, thank you so much, you know, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking with you um, and just, you know, having our listeners and myself be able to absorb, you know, all of your knowledge. Um, and thank you for all your, you know, contributions to the field. Thank you so much, Toby. It has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, it was so much fun to, to discuss with you. And uh, the fact, uh, the very fact that you are in the device space uh, also was intriguing and interesting in this conversation. Awesome. Well, if you guys enjoyed uh, the show today, go ahead and uh, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find uh, the full episodes 
at Roscoe's Wetsuit is the YouTube channel. And then go ahead and also uh, follow us on Instagram. We're Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. You can find out about any updates, upcoming podcasts that are being recorded or posted. Um, and you can also listen to the audio version of the podcast if you want while you're driving uh, or wherever um, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. All right, Dr. Cassano, thanks again. Thank you. All right.